You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. I'm going to show you how you can grow your marketing agency to $10 million plus annually. I've been there. I've done that. I'm sharing actual experiences with you. If you stay till the very end, you're going to get more than enough. You're going to get a little special goodie. Stay till the very end. And without further ado, let's get into it so you can grow your agency. Number one, the best marketers in the world have a knack for experimentation. When you have a scientific mindset, when you're willing to test things out, you understand that maybe around 11, 12% of your tests are going to be successful and the rest are going to be duds, but you're going to keep moving. You're going to keep iterating. You're going to keep experimenting and you're not going to let successes get you too high or the failures get you too low. And most marketers, they start to become a little maybe complacent or they don't want to rock the boat or anything like that. But if you want to become top, top, top tier, that's what you got to do to get better. So number two, having a repurposing framework. So there's so many disparate channels right now. You have LinkedIn, SMS, you have SEO. There's just so many channels out there and it starts to become difficult to manage things. And it's just way easier when you start with a pillar piece of content. For example, this video could be the pillar and then we can repurpose these and chop these up into reels, into shorts. We can post it onto LinkedIn, but having a content repurposing framework, that's going to take you a long way because you can have that one pillar piece that can help you make maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 pieces of content. And sure, you're going to need more resources to do that. But if you're able to do that, then that actually takes a lot of work off of whoever it is that is kind of the face of the company. Now, number three is a learning machine. Some of the best marketers that I know that have gone on to become great entrepreneurs, they're still learning machines. They are still out there listening, reading, sharing content, attending conferences. So the best marketers know that they don't know what they don't know. And things are changing so quickly in the world of marketing that what you knew maybe a year ago is now irrelevant. Now, number four is who, not how. So what I mean by that is a lot of marketers, they tend to think, okay, well, if I read something, if I talk to someone else, maybe I should just do it myself. I should just figure out how to do it. Instead of thinking about how you can do something, like that's great, but what's higher leverage is actually figuring out who can do it. Who's actually been there and done that before and who can you go out there to hire that's actually done it. So they can just do it for you. You need resources to do this. But the idea here is you want to become one of the most effective marketers in the world. You have to be able to become a great recruiter and you have to be a great delegator as well. And most marketers cap themselves out because they become great individual contributors or ICs, but they can't think beyond that. Right. And so their growth, their upside is uncapped. Number five is it's actually about building a media company. And what I mean by that is when you look at newsletters out there, such as the Morning Brew, you look at HubSpot acquiring the hustle, which is a newsletter. When you build an entire ecosystem, you're building a community around it. You have multiple sources or different types of shows out there. You're basically creating a media ecosystem. It's not just you're writing a bunch of blog posts that is still effective, but you have to think about leveraging the different assets that are available and building a media company too also means during events, right? Or during dinners and things like that, that kind of goes into the media arm, right? And we're not expecting necessarily like an ROI out of it immediately. It's just great people. It's great networking. That's not to say, oh my God, like that's going to help us get clients. Number six, someone that knows how to connect the dots. And what I mean by that is if you're able to think outside the box, and I know that's a very conceptual term, but when you think about maybe all the assets that you have, all the relationships that you have, what type of angles can you figure out? And that requires more strategic thinking. And the only way you're going to evolve your strategic thinking is by being a learning machine, right? And then are you able to then take a look at all the assets that you have? have everything that's available to you. For example, I've done so many podcast interviews over the years. I know a lot of CEOs from that. I can probably have these people speak at a virtual event, or maybe if someone needs something, I can make a connection there, but I'm always thinking about how I can connect the dots, whatever it is. Exactly. I'm always personally trying to figure out what the angle is, what assets are available to me. And then that's going to help you go further 
because you are now thinking outside the box. What's really important if you really want to level up is hanging out with people that are better than you. And what I mean by that is people that are not just one level above you, maybe they're a couple levels above you, right? And then what happens is as you start to level up in your career, you are be able to hang out in masterminds, right? These are known as peer groups, or you can call them masterminds. I hang out in different peer groups myself with other entrepreneurs or like, let's say investors or marketers. These groups, the information that's shared in here often is not shared online. When people are hanging out with each other, they like to share, right? When you're breaking bread with people, they like to share information. Sometimes people like to one-up each other, but being in these peer groups, you're not only learning how to become a better marketer, but you're building lifelong friendships with people that have similar mindsets with you. And that's worth its weight in gold because the relationships are arguably worth a lot more than any tactic that you're gonna learn from this stuff. Number one is it typically takes about three years to see success. And I've talked about this with Neil on the Marketing School podcast. He has his agency, MP Digital. I've been doing mine for a bit. I took my company over. The first two years were really a slog. And, you know, to be frank, I kind of wanted to give up maybe in the first year and a half or so because I didn't know what I was doing. We're all just figuring things out and we're figuring things out as we go. As long as you're consistent, as long as you're doing a good job for your customers, and you're doing a good job for your team members, then you are good to go. It's usually about sticking it out longer and then you continue to learn and you continue to grow over time. Number two is Pricing is one of the biggest levers that you can pull, and yet most agency owners in the very early days, they are hesitant to increase their pricing. So I recommend reading a book called Pricing Creativity because it teaches you to price on value. And if you're able to do that, then you're able to charge more. And if you're able to charge more, then that gives you more margin to hire people and hopefully gives you more margin for your profits. Now, number three, it's not charging for strategy. If you think that your agency is good, then you should be charging for strategy because the thinking is actually what sets you apart. You have to think about who's doing the thinking because the thoughts then lead to actions and then those actions will then kind of dictate what type of outcomes that you're going to get. And number four is on the topic of scope creep. So scope creep means when the customer keeps asking for more and more and more and you keep saying yes, yes, yes. So if you want to prevent that, you would add in the $0 change order. And what that means is each time a customer asks for more stuff, you say, hey, no problem, let's do it. They ask again, hey, like I'm looking for this, blah, blah, that's fine. I'm going to send you this $0 invoice, okay? The third time they come again, they're like, hey, can you just do this? And it's like, hey, like, look, I have this record where I sent you these two $0 change orders, but we're a business, so we have to charge you know, would that be okay? And then that diffuses any type of issues that might arise. And that way it kind of sets expectations. It sets boundaries around the relationship. Now, the other thing is you have to run your company on an operating system. So whether you want to use a traction operating system, you want to use scaling up. So when you run your business on an operating system, you have a cadence of weekly meetings. There's quarterly planning and then there's an annual planning as well. That way it keeps everything moving. Everything, there's discipline that's built in. And then hopefully you can roll that out to your entire organization. That's what the goal of these traction meetings are. Next thing is, is you have to focus on a niche. A lot of people are like, oh, like we serve everybody. But the problem is when you serve everybody, you serve nobody because you don't know what you're really good at. And then when potential customers come up to you and they ask what you're good at, do you specialize in our industry and you don't really have a good answer there, they actually don't wanna work with you. In the early days, you focus on one, you know, could be SaaS, could be e-commerce, could be crypto or whatever. You know, from there, you can start to expand a little more. And I would say an agency, maybe you can do like three or four niches as you start to expand. There's nothing wrong with that. And you don't need to compare yourself to the largest agencies out there because comparison is the thief of joy. Now, the other thing too, is when you start out focusing on one service, you think about it, when you go to a doctor, you know, you go to the eye doctor for one thing, you go to the dentist for other thing, you go to leg doctor, you go to spine doctor. There's so many different doctors. They specialize in different areas. So 
focus on one service, then you can start to expand into others. I'm not saying don't expand into others. I'm just saying in the early days, especially when your resources are very constrained, you don't want to do that. So next one is to underpromise and overdeliver. Don't promise the world in the beginning because then you set the expectation really high and it puts a lot of pressure on not only you, puts a lot of pressure on the team as well. Just make sure your offer is really good, the one that you underpromise on, and just go above and beyond because people are going to remember that. And what ends up happening is that leads to word of mouth and the word of mouth is going to continue to help you grow. Now, the last one is to become a media company. And Bill Gates said in the 90s that every company is going to become a media company. And the more you can do that, the better. If you look at Patrick Bet David, he does insurance, but you know, he largely just talks about reaction show. He does a podcast and all that. He's not talking about his business too much, right? The whole idea here is that instead of you having to push all the time, it's going to pull people into you. And then you can decide, you know, who you want to serve that way, right? So number one is to build the right team. And I don't mean hiring VAs. I don't mean hiring someone that came out of college, but I mean hiring people that have actually been there, done that, and more so hiring people that are full-time committed to your culture. When I first started the agency Single Grain, initially we had just focused on VAs, we had focused on contractors, and that got us to a certain level, but we couldn't break past that level until we started to hire full-time people. Full-time people that really understood what to do, that aligned with our values. Full-time people that we could trust, people that we knew and we liked, people that were humble, hungry, smart at the end of the day, because that's what goes into an ideal team player. Now, as you continue to scale, let's say you're at $1 million a year right now, you want to get to 10 million, you have to hire people that have been there, done that. What you have to do is take yourself out of the mindset of, hey, I need to save money. I need to save money. It's more so, hey, I need to now spend money to make money. If you're enjoying this so far, hit the freaking like button because it's going to help this video get seen more. So number two is building the right culture. When you think about your culture, you have to have a set of mission, vision, and value. The mission matters because what are you trying to do with the company? What's your vision? And I recommend reading the book Vivid Vision so you can write out what your vision is. And what are the top three ideal values that you stand for. So for example, for us, one of the core values is open-mindedness. The second one is trustworthy. It means that they're entirely reliable. The first one, which is the most important one, I would say, is people that are improvement obsessed. This channel is called Leveling Up. I have the domain levelingup.com. I wrote a book called Leveling Up. I live continuous improvement. And because that stems from the top, that filters through the organization. Number three is running your business on an operating system. So you can run your operating system off of Traction EOS or Scaling Up. These are two nice frameworks that you can use. What that does is that gives you a framework on a weekly meeting cadence, a quarterly planning cadence, an annual planning cadence. It sets goals. It sets the ability for you to trickle down this operating system throughout your entire organization and everyone is following that. And you might be saying, oh, well, this is too early for us. Even if you have three or four people right now, running this operating system will get people aligned that's what's going to help you continue to keep moving. Now, prospecting seems counterintuitive, but I'll tell you this. LinkedIn prospecting in today's day and age, it actually works. And so reaching out to people, if you can get at least a 10% response rate, whether it's negative or positive, you're in a good spot. And ideally, you're getting a certain percentage, maybe 1% of those meetings that you're reaching out to or prospects that you're reaching out to are actually booking into meetings. Now, the other thing is build a media company. If I look at the things that we do, we have this podcast called Leveling Up. We have this YouTube channel called Leveling Up. Marketing School, the other podcast. I have another podcast called Creators of Web3. We get good traffic on our blog. In addition to all the kind of shorts, reels, TikToks that we're pumping out right now, we do events as well. So for us, it's building a media company. And then what happens is people eventually will know, like, and trust us. I think Patrick Bat David is a really good example of this, where he has built a very large insurance business, but he decided to build a media company. And that's led to not only him growing his relationship, building his own kind of personal profile, but has also led to more customers as well for his main business. 
business because people want to do business with people. Next thing is going above and beyond with your strategy and your execution. It's like, hey, like even though I know we're only doing paid media with you right now, have you thought about this SEO thing? Have you thought about this influencer thing? And that maybe provides you an opportunity to continue to grow. Now, the other thing too is going to industry events. And eventually what I want you to do is I want you to host dinners at these events and invite the speakers. Also host your own events as well. The reason is because nothing can beat the in-person interactions at the end of the day. So next one is one service. If you get really good at one service, let's say it's pay performance ads for SaaS. You do that really well. You start to build in great cash flows. Then you can start to expand, right? Now, the last one is you start out with one niche, be known for that one industry. And then from there, you can decide to maybe expand out to three to four niches. But that's really what it is. Hey, so I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Leveling Up Accelerator. So that is basically a group of like-minded agency owners such as yourself that want to take their business to the next level. So they want to take it to six figures, right? And maybe above that. So that's what this group is for. And in the group, well, you can just learn more about it. Just go to levelingup.com slash accelerator to learn more. Or you can click on the link below. And without further ado, back to the content. First things first, what you want to do is you want to take a look at your competitors. So you would go on LinkedIn, take a look at your competitors. Ideally, there's someone that is significantly larger than you. You can see who they have on their team. So if you're looking to hire paid media managers, you're looking to hire executives for your team, oftentimes you're going to see a trend that these companies that are larger than you, they have a similar structure and you want to hire people that are all-stars, right? And when you take a look at their LinkedIn profiles, you can see what they've done, what they've accomplished. And what I look for ultimately is tenure, right? Tenure. How long do they typically stay in a place? Are they job hopping all the time? Because you want someone that's reliable, someone that's going to stay with you over the long term. The second thing I look for is do they have a history of getting promoted, right? If they are getting promoted, that means they have a history of doing things well. And then you also want to look at their past to have they been promoted in the past. I mean, if someone's early in their career, you can also just ask them, hey, like, what have they done earlier in their career? Um, how have they been promoted earlier in their career? Then what you do is you'd reach out and you say, hey, you know, um, my name's Eric and I'm with Single Green. We work with companies such as X, Y, and Z. We're looking for someone that can lead paid media efforts or SEO efforts or data efforts or whatever it is exactly. Do you know of anyone that would be interested? And there's a good chunk of time where people would just raise their own hands. And oftentimes, they'll often even just refer someone else. But that's the most disarming message that you can send. If you want to build the ultimate marketing team, you have to block out time, right? Because us as marketers, we have to think about, oh, you know, how do you do something? How do you do something? But as you grow as a business, you have to think more so about who can do it, who can solve the problem for you. And that's how you build true leverage. That's why the best companies in the world, they're often scooping up the best talent because talent, it's a war for talent. That's what really matters at the end of the day. What I would do is block out time. Maybe you're blocking out at least an hour a day to hang out on LinkedIn. If you're really looking to, to scale your team out, right? If it's early days for your company, maybe not so much, but you still want to build that muscle, that LinkedIn muscle, right? Especially if you're a CEO that's listening to this, the CEO, one of their main jobs is recruiting, right? And by the way, if you're enjoying this right now, if you want more tips on business and marketing, hit the like and hit the subscribe button because it helps us grow. The other thing is I really recommend reading this book called Who. It's by Jeff Smart. And that book is great because it teaches you how to screen. And so when you're screening for people, when you're talking to people initially, keep in mind you reached out and it's almost like a sales conversation. And what you're doing is you have to sell, right? You have to kind of sell what the vision is. You have to sell what the role is. And then you can ask these screening questions and then you have to sell again, right? If people are coming to you, they're applying directly. Well, that's fine. But oftentimes the best talent, they're often not looking. 
and they often already are employed, right? Now, I want to give you an example of some of the key questions that you can ask when it comes to who's screening. First and foremost, you can ask, what are your long-term career goals? They can answer that however they want, but you want to understand how their mind is thinking about where they want to be going. Do they want to become a director? Do they want to start their own business? Are they happy where they are? And does this align with your values as a company? What are you world-class at? That's another one. And what actually gives you energy? So you want to understand, hey, like what tasks are they actually good at doing? What responsibilities are they actually good at? And does that fit in with what you're looking for? Now, on the flip side of that, what are you not so good at? What are you not interested in doing? So someone might say like Excel pivot tables, right? And in fact, you might need that for the role. And if they're saying that, there's not a fit there. And by the way, with this screening, you can get this done in about 15 to 30 minutes or so. I would recommend going more on the 30 minute side because you are the one that reached out and you have a little bit of a selling job to do. But when you ask these questions, another question would be, you know, tell me about your last three managers. How would they rate your performance on a scale of one to 10 and why? And when sometimes people will just answer tens across the board and give no context, those are not necessarily the people that you want to work with because the makeup of an ideal team player is someone that's humble, someone that's hungry, and someone that's smart. You know, humbleness is thinking of yourself less, right? It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And so when someone's saying tens across the board, they're not really thinking through their answer. And they're not when they're not elaborating on it, maybe their idea of a 10, it shows that they're not that hungry and maybe they're, they're not that humble either, right? So again, these questions are all designed to help you kind of sidestep any, any potential landmines. Now, the other thing that we do when it comes to finding our rockstar marketers is we will send them an assessment and oftentimes this is an assessment it for sure is a written assessment right we want to understand how they write we want to understand how they think now if they're writing in blocks of text and they don't know how to space things out they're not thoughtful with their words then we know this is how they're going to interact with potential other customers or people on the team and that's not going to be a good fit we want people that are able to think for themselves and people that are able to write at a high level what else you might want to look at is principles you and that's a personality test that we use and Principles U is great. It's a test by Adam Grant and Ray Dalio. And the reason that test is great is because I find it to be probably 85, 90% accurate when it comes to working with someone. This is not to say that anyone's personality is set in stone, but it's who they are at the moment, right? And so if you need someone that's actually very detail-oriented for the role, it's gonna show how detail-oriented they are. If you need someone that's growth-minded, someone that can take feedback well, someone that has high composure, it's gonna show you that as well. And don't ask me the science behind it, but we've just seen that's been very accurate across the board. The one thing that you have to do before you create a job description, you have to create a role scorecard. So a role scorecard will outline the outcomes that you're looking for, the competencies that you're looking for, and also the very bottom outlining your core values so you can test for those core values. Let's say you are looking for someone that has driven a blog to 5 million visits a month. Those marketers are few and far between, but you have to define what you're looking for first. Maybe they have grown an email list to 500,000 people on the email list, or maybe they've increased the conversion rate to two to 3% or so, and they worked on a business that's similar to yours. And so you have to define what are these three to five outcomes that you're looking for. When you hire for a role, it's not just copy and pasting someone else's job description, because if you don't know what you're looking for, ultimately you're not setting the right expectations and you're gonna set that person up to fail. Now, when it comes to hiring, start producing content. I don't care how early or late you are. Going out there, creating content, the content compounds over time. You teach people, people start to latch on to you. They decide whether they know, like, and trust you. Here's an example. We had someone from our team named Zach and another one named Rogov. And both of these guys, they actually saw my content first. And so, you know, once Zach did was 
he offered to do copywriting for us initially and you know it worked out great and a couple years later we ended up hiring him as a director of marketing now Rogov, what he did was he saw our content he went above and beyond for an internship job and he actually wrote an 8,000 word blog post on what he would do for our blog and so this is actually a good lesson here to test for what people would do for your business that's important because you want to understand the level of their experience and their philosophies now the fourth one is sourcing right and so i've sourced a lot of amazing marketers through linkedin but a lot of it comes down to your role scorecard again what i do is i basically will reach out and say hey we are looking to hire for x y and z role do you know of anyone that might be interested and a lot of the times they'll raise their head and say hey i'm actually interested in this role and then from there you can have a conversation around i'll give you another bonus too if you have people that follow you on twitter or linkedin you can also ask who is the best paid marketer that you know tag them in here if we make the hire we'll pay you a couple hundred dollars and what happens is you incentivize people so they start tagging other people in there so tip number one is starting by working for free. Now this seems counterintuitive out the gate actually, but when I first started out, when I had zero clients, what I did in the very beginning was I actually reached out to people and I made these long 20 to 30 minute videos and I would actually send it to people. And what I was trying to do was A, do free research for people and then B, go the extra mile in terms of not just writing stuff out, but making a video. Number two, not calling yourself an expert. So you want other people to perceive you as an expert, but never call yourself an expert because what happens is your mind starts to think that, oh, you're an expert. You don't need to learn that much anymore. When well, the reality is that continuous improvement is what really matters. And so you have to think about how can you continually get better at your craft? Because what you're trying to do, you're competing with all these other agencies out there. And the reality is if you keep learning, you're going to be better skill-wise because you're boutique in the very beginning. Number three is finding your niche. So I didn't believe this in the very beginning. People would say, oh, you need to focus on one category in the beginning. And I was like, well, no, you know, I've worked in all these different categories. Why don't I try this category? Why don't I try that category? The problem with that is people like people that specialize. Let's say you get your leg injured. Are you going to want to go to a dentist or are you going to want to go to a spine doctor? No, you want to go to a specialist, right? Number four would be on doing competitor research. So if you're studying other agencies, you can use these directories such as clutch.co. You can also use tools like Ahrefs to take a look at what your competitors are doing. You can use similar web as well. Not necessarily saying copy their every move, but you can draw inspiration from elements that you like and make it into your own. The other thing is launching your website. So this seems archaic in today's day and age. Sure, you know, some people can say, oh, you can just do like a link tree, which is just a couple of links. Depends on the type of business that you're doing. But, you know, having that .com or .xyz if you're in Web3, that goes a long way. And you can use a lot of no-code tools that are available now. So Webflow is a nice builder. You know, personally, I use WordPress, but there's a lot of great other tools out there. Number six, it's building a portfolio. And so if you do any type of creative work at all, putting your portfolio on your website, it's like dribble with three Bs. Behance would be another one. You want to get your portfolio out there as much as possible because you just want to show people that you've been there, done that. So next one is on your pricing and packaging model. So pricing is one of the biggest levers that you can pull, but most people are too hesitant in the beginning. What you can do is just aim for a certain amount that ultimately where you're like, hey, if I can get like five clients, it's going to replace my full-time salary. You also want to think about your pricing model and you want to go for recurring. You don't want to go for one offers because you want predictable cash flow. You don't want it to be a feast or famine type of business. So next one is building your brand. What I would say is ideally you would just focus on one or two channels that are working. Typically it takes about two to three years to start to see success with that. Let me know, by the way, if you think I missed anything in the comments or feel free to drop any questions in there at the moment. So number nine is going to industry events. So don't go to every event under the sun, but just go to a couple where it makes sense. Eventually you're going to meet great people. People like to do business with people. Eventually they're going to come back to you. It might not be immediate business, but I get a lot of value from going to these events. Eventually I learned how to throw dinners. Eventually I learned how to throw my own events as well. Number 10 is prospecting. In the very early days, you don't have a brand. Nobody really knows who you are. You got to go out there, prospect, offer to work for free. LinkedIn prospecting works. 
DMing your potential clients on Instagram or Twitter. That helps too. Number 12, last but not least, making use of organic social. So as of this recording, LinkedIn organic social strong, Facebook fan pages are bad. The short form content like TikTok, Reels, YouTube shorts, those tend to do well. So you got to think about how you can really attack those. What is worth measuring? This post I threw up on LinkedIn actually got about 344,000 impressions on it, about 4,700 likes or so. So clearly it struck a chord and I'm actually gonna do another video on that so you can watch that one in terms of how you can get 344,000 impressions on a single post. Here I wrote, 10 years ago, marketers used to obsess over every single little thing. So you have pixels, you have tracking links, multi-channel attribution, all these things, right? And you can see here's the actually advertising spend quote from John Wanamaker. If you think about it, there are so many disparate channels now. You have SEO, TikTok, LinkedIn, Reels, you have Shorts, YouTube long form, podcasts, events, SMS, email, and more and more and more. There's just so many different channels out there that it's almost impossible to manage, right? But I'm actually going to continue on with this post over here talking about the diminishing returns. So over here, I say we're trying to measure every single thing at, after a certain point just starts to become counterproductive. So what I mean by that is like a basketball player, that's a really good free throw shooter. If you're already shooting 95% from the line, then trying to optimize to that 100% you start to see diminishing returns. It's not as big as a jump as optimizing from a 50% shooter to maybe like an 80% shooter, right? You just start to make more shots. Now, it's the same thing with marketing. If you start to focus on these little granular things, especially if it's a smaller business, the returns aren't gonna be that big. Now, if you're a multi-billion dollar company, that's a different story. And if you have the resources for it, it's definitely worth it. But for the vast majority of you that are watching this right now, it's understanding that you have diminishing returns. Now, what should you be measuring then? Well, if you are doing marketing activities, let's say you're posting a bunch to social media, media, it's almost impossible to measure every single thing that you're doing because social media is so fleeting. You have these feed style posts, you're posting something to stories. It's just hard to see what's going on after a period of time. Now, you can definitely use tools like Sprout Social. You can definitely use tools like Shield for LinkedIn. There's a lot of different analytics apps out there, but it still becomes difficult. Now, if you want to make this a little more manageable, then what I would encourage you to do from a metric standpoint is to think about what you can be measuring at a high level. So this means for social media, it could be reach. Maybe you're optimizing for MQL. So these are marketing qualified leads. Maybe you're optimizing for SQL. So these are sales qualified leads. You got to think about what your goals are and then what's easier to measure at a very high level. And then at a certain point, if you're just trying to hold your team accountable, you're looking at reach, you look at these high level goals, but you're also looking at posting activity too. These things are easier to measure and you can then focus on things that are higher impact. Hey, so I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Leveling Up Accelerator. So that is basically a group of like-minded agency owners such as yourself that want to take their business to the next level. So they want to take it to six figures, right? And maybe above that. So that's what this group is for. And in the group, well, you can just learn more about it. Just go to levelingup.com slash accelerator to learn more. Or you can click on the link below. And without further ado, back to the content. Number one, when you think about errors on your website, you can use a tool like Ahrefs or you can use a tool like SEMrush. You can also use a tool like Google Webmaster Tools that's completely free. When you use these tools, they actually have the ability to point out errors that you have on your site. So these are very simple fixes. Number two, the two most important things are content and links when it comes to SEO. Now, some of the best tools out there, they attract the most links. It could be free SEO tools, it could be free marketing tools, or it could be free calculators that are available. And these get a lot of links because people find them to be helpful tools and people like to link to these things, right? And so 
So for example, my podcast co-host Neil, you know, he bought a tool a couple years ago and it had thousands and thousands of links that came with it, right? In addition to the tool itself. Google Search Console, what it allows you to do is that you can see what's going on from like a discoverability standpoint, you know, what's trending on your website, also errors on your website too. And then leads me to my fourth point, which is click-through rate test, where basically you go into Google Search Console, look for your pages that have a high impression count, but a low click-through rate. So Google's actually showing those pages. That just means your headline and your meta description aren't doing the best job. So you can go in there and make adjustments. Now, next one is on content updates. So you want to be updating your content. What we found over time is that having people that refresh are high performers. What tends to happen is those high performers actually start to get more and more traffic. I remember we had one post that was getting like 3,000 visits a month, and then it jumped up to 6,000, and then 20,000, then 35,000 or so, just because we kept updating it over time. Number six, seems counterintuitive, but deleting your content. So content that's no longer relevant, let's say you might have written about dot-com busts or a friendster or something like that. That content's no longer relevant, so you might as well delete it and make it easier for search engines to crawl your website. You don't want to be talking about old stuff. You want to be constantly updating because that's what search engines are looking for. So I think we're on number seven now, combining your content. Let's say you have 10 pieces on conversion rate optimization. If you combine it all into one, sometimes what happens is those pages actually attract more links and they rank higher because it's a more complete article. And number eight is Google Core Web Vitals. That's what they want people to be paying attention to, right? That includes overall user experience, how much stuff you have going on your site. Like you just want to make sure that you're continuing to optimize for that. And Google has stated that they would like people to do that. Number nine is exploding topics. So trending topics, right? I have a friend, his name's Brian Dean, and he created this tool called Exploding Topics, which will help you find the latest trends. You can also use Google Trends as well for that. Number 10 is information gain. A lot of the top 10 results, they're all looking the same now, right? They want to see people that have unique things to say or like unique data that the other results might not have. So they're looking for information gain because all the stuff is starting to look the same, right? Buying a blog is kind of similar to talking about a free tool earlier, but you can buy a blog that has strong domain authority, that has great links, that's topically relevant to whatever it is that you're doing. And number 12, last but not least, you can add elements to your resources like YouTube videos, for example, to increase dwell time, or you can add a tool or a widget to that. Number one is foreplay. So that's foreplay.co. And it is basically an opportunity for you to aggregate all of your swipe files. And what that means is when you go on these other platforms, when you want to save ads that you like, you put them into a swipe file so you can come back to it later. So you can come up with ideas for your ads. Number two is motion app. And what that means is when you have a creative team, you have designers on the team and you have your ad team, what's difficult is to actually show the creatives what's actually working. Let's say they create an ad, maybe $5,000 to spend on that ad where they can see the ROI on that ad. And then that can help guide the designers because you can align with them more. So number three is Jarvis.ai. What it does is it will help you write content. If you write maybe a couple of sentences, it will suggest content to be written and then it will give you topic ideas. It will give you headline ideas as well. It uses technology called GPT-3. Number four is answer the public. Basically answer the public will help you come up with new content ideas. When you type in a keyword, it's going to help you branch out into a bunch of different ideas that you can create. And so that's going to be helpful if you're looking to create new blog content or more YouTube content or more Twitter content that's going to give you the ideas that you need. So number five is Mighty Scout. So Mighty Scout is a micro influencer tool. It's going to help you find influencers. It's a little older. It's been around for maybe two, three years or so, but I think it's still relatively new because not many people have heard about it. Varos is one that seems very interesting to me. It's a conversion benchmarking tool that allows you to see how you stack up against your industry. So let's say you're in SaaS, let's say you're in e-commerce. You can see for a particular campaign what the conversion rate should look like, what the CPAs should look like. The other tool I'd like to talk about 
is vidIQ. So vidIQ has actually upgraded quite a bit because you can stack up a bunch of competitors, see who's getting the most views. You can see who has the most velocity, who's getting the more week-on-week -week growth. That's going to tell you what topics are predicted will do well. Last one, but not least, is called Bubbles. It is a tool that will allow you to screenshot. It will allow you to make videos as well, but you can also comment, right? You can just record a video and then everyone can just collaborate in there. And it's more known as asynchronous collaboration. So number one, the first thing to understand is that this stuff takes time. It takes about three years to start to build an audience. Look, if you hit lightning in a bottle, great. If you were fortunate enough to capitalize on strong organic reach from a social channel such as Charlie D'Amelio, then you know more power to you. But for the vast majority of us, it's gonna take us about three years to start to build something really great. And you can start to see some traction maybe in the first year or so, but really three years to start to build a great audience or a great business as well. So these two things kind of go hand in hand, by the way, because when we talk about building a media company, that means that you can't just be in one place. You're really trying to hold the attention and get the attention of a lot of people. And Bill Gates once said in the 90s that every company is eventually going to become a media company because the reality is that ad costs are continuing to rise. And if you want to stay out, then you have to kind of create your own attention. And that's why a lot of creators out there like the Mr. Beast of the world are able to secure all these deals. They're now able to leverage their brand to build Mr. Beast Burger. They're able to build Feastables. The second thing is if you're going to be producing content, so let's use this video as an example, this video will become multiple pieces of content. So what we'll do is we'll take this video, we'll push it over to the podcast that I have, we'll repurpose it for a blog post. But the whole idea is that there's a framework that we use called the content sprouting framework, meaning that you have one pillar piece of content and that one video can become multiple TikToks, shorts, reels, maybe long form pieces of content. And then what you can do afterwards is you can promote, right? It's really important to understand that if you're going to be patient with this stuff, you also have to invest in it too. When I talk to Cody, she's spending about 70 or 80 grand a month or so on content. Same kind of deal with the Hormozis, same type of deal with a lot of the friends I talk to, right? They're spending into the five figures, if not into the six figures for content. And what you're also looking for as well is the qualitative and the quantitative feedback. Let's say, for example, if I'm trying to grow on YouTube, I'm going to take a look at my YouTube studio. I'm going to look at my analytics. I'm going to look at what videos have done well in terms of strong retention, strong click-through rate, understanding how the game is played on each channel, and then looking at the metrics, looking at the numbers. That's the quantitative side of it. And then the qualitative piece is actually surveying your audience. So maybe dropping a poll every now and then. Hey, what did you think about that latest video that I did? Or what other videos would you like to see me to do? You can send out polls and then just see how your audience is. Don't be afraid to put ads against it, right? So if you're trying to promote a podcast, don't be afraid to advertise on other podcasts. Ideally, you're just getting on other podcasts, but if you don't have the time for it, maybe you can advertise on other podcasts to mention yours and also use your videos to promote other videos. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.